You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Everybody, welcome to the Vine Church. My name is James. I'm one of the elders here. I'm part of the preaching team. Um, I'm delighted to be here with you getting to preach on the text that we have up on the screen, Hebrews 3, 12 to 19. Um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is open up your, your Bibles at this point. You can grab a Bible from the back table. If you don't have one, please take one. It would be like our absolute delight to give you a Bible uh, such that you can hold it and you can read it and take it uh, everywhere. You can also turn on the Bible app if you have that one. That one's free. Um, but we're going to go to Hebrews 3. You'll know that we, we journey our way through the, uh, an entire book. That's what, how we try to preach here is exegetically, meaning like taking a book and reading it word for word, studying it. And so we're in the middle of, of Hebrews, uh, actually middle of the beginning of Hebrews. Um, to that end, I want to invite you to, if you have questions, ask them. Um, if you have questions, ask them. You can scan the QR code that's up here and ask questions on a Google form. This is, I think, a really unique aspect of our church that that we encourage Q&A over time. I've become more and more excited about it. Um, I learned that um, there's a famous preacher named Tim Keller. He, uh, he, his church, he would like stick around and answer questions after the service from people who were curious. And that became um, one of his books, Reason for God, was just through that Q&A. So feel free to ask questions. I, I cannot guarantee, A, that I'll know the answer, or B, that I'll even have time today. But I would love for you to ask the question anyway, so that we can reply as, as elders. We want you to feel encouraged to ask difficult things. Um, all right, so the, th- that's going to be where we go today. The, the sermon series you see up here is Jesus is Better. Just as a brief recap, because we, because we preach in this manner of like going through an entire book, we should recap what we've done, where we've been a little bit, what's the point. Um, the author of Hebrews is unknown, right? But we know it was written to the early church, and the early church was under a lot of persecution and feeling of maybe like wanting to return to their old uh, Jewish customs or towards um, any like of the Roman gods of the day or Greek gods or whatever. There's any any number of things to which they could turn. Sounds very similar to the day and age in which we live. And we're to be called out and said, hey, reminder, Jesus is better. All those other things that are distractions, Jesus is better than those. So we studied chapters one and two, which were about how Jesus is better than angels um, go back and revisit some of those sermons if you'd like to a recap on those better than supernatural beings. And now Jesus is better than Moses. We're, we're taking a look into how Jesus is better than Moses. And this isn't meant to like hate on angels or hate on Moses. All those, all th- these things are, are really important. They're really good. But Jesus is better. He is actually the fulfillment of all those things, as we see. The, the author of Hebrews keeps pointing back to the Old Testament and how Jesus is the fulfillment there. Um, so what I'm going to have us do is read verses 3, 12 through 19, but I want to invite Meg to, to come up and read this for us today. So find your way to Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 19, please. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. 
As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they there? Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let's pray. God, thank you for the beautiful reading of your word. Thank you that we get to hear from the scriptures. Lord, I ask that was as we encounter these words on a page, they would become real to us. They would become living. They would inform the way in which we understand you and the way in which we live and go forth from this place. Lord, I ask humbly um, as your servant to speak truth and uh, to be filled with the spirit to only say what you are asking me to say today. Um, Lord, I ask that our ears would be ready to hear what you have for us. God, you are very good. May we hold firm to the original confidence which we have had. Um, Lord, I ask that we would be reminded of Jesus as we heed the warnings today um, of ancient Israel. Lord, may it be so. Amen. All right, well, let's Let's study a little bit about what we got going on in the passage today. Um, I've, I think there's a lot of ways we could go with this, this, this text. It could probably each, each verse be its own week, uh, week's worth of sermon. Um, but if we lump it all together, I think where I'm going to take this is guarding against unbelief. Guarding against unbelief. It, I, the reason I think this is a good uh, summary of the passage is because it frames the passage. You'll see a mention of unbelief in verse 12, and you'll see a mention of unbelief in verse 19, this is a, a warning to, to heed here. Um, so just a brief recap. I, I mean, let's, th- these are words on a, on a screen, words on a page. W- what does it mean? What do the words mean? I mean, if we look at verses 12 through 14, or 12 through 15, I'm sorry, um, we're supposed to take care. This is just the paraphrase version. We're supposed to take care or be careful, take heed, some of your translations might say, from an unbelieving heart, because we might fall away. And so we're supposed to exhort, whatever that means, exhort one another, as long as it's called today. That's the urgency aspect of this. And the, re- the reason why we're supposed to exhort is so we're not deceived by sin. And then verse 14, we already looked at this in the assurance section of the service today. We are supposed to have confidence in Christ. That's where all this is based. And then verse 15, notice it's a quote. It's a quote from Psalm 95, and you don't even need to go very far to see. It's also in uh, chapter 3. Uh, we heard it last week. It's in verses 7 and 8 in chapter 3 as well. Um, this is quoting from Psalm 95 about a rebellion. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. And it, it actually is right here, verses 16 and 17. This is about the rebellion of the Israelites as they left Egypt. You probably know that story. Anybody watch the Ten Commandments around Easter? Or like maybe you watch like 20 minutes of it because it's on TV for four hours. Uh, am I the only person who watches that movie? It's on like CBS or something or whatever. Anyways, the, the Ten Commandments movie, I know this. It's like there's probably the animated Prince of Egypt movie that I haven't seen. Sorry. Um, but there's lots of reasons why we might know this story. Do we, do we follow it to its end, though? We know that the Israelites are, are get, they get out of Egypt, but they also grumble in the desert. Right, and we see here in verses 17 into 18 that they provoke God, and that they uh, they sinned, and their bodies fell in the wilderness. That's not the not so fun part of the story, right? We might gloss over that part or forget that they didn't get to enter the promised land. 
And so this, this is, I think, mentioned here because so, we're supposed to heed the warnings of unbelief. What is unbelief? How can we guard against it? That's what we're going to look at today. So there's the passage. We're going we're gonna to dive in. Um, here's the, the structure of um, how I've li- uh, lined this out today. I like, I like note-taking. Let's see a few of you with your pens and notebooks ready. This is kind of how I've, I've uh, digested this in my mind, and I also need to attribute a, a good chunk of the, of the outline today was from a commentary I got by a guy named Richard Phillips. So I'm not the expert on this one. I, we're using commentaries on, on these things to drive our understanding. And some of, the, some of the commentaries and some of the other sermons I've heard ask us to heed warnings of unbelief. Now, what are those specific warnings? A good beginning does not ensure a good ending. A hard heart is dreadful. And God has wrath against sin. These are truths. These are warnings for us when we encounter them in these scriptures. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to guard against unbelief? First, we're going to hear of the warnings. We're going to see the warning signs. Then we're going to exhort one another. This is calling us to action in exhorting one another. Be aware and then tell each other, exhort one another. And then finally, what is all this based in? It's based in Christ. It's all going to come back to the gospel. It always does for us here. So that's where we're headed. What is unbelief, though? What is unbelief? Unbelief, maybe we could just define it as it's not belief, which is maybe not a very helpful definition. Uh, But unbelief, unbelief. Um, As we look at it here, it could be interpreted as actions against God's commands, right? We're not believing what he tells us to do, so we don't follow his commands. It also is an attitude thing. It's like in our hearts, right? We have an unbelieving heart towards God. And this is uh, spelled out in the, in the scriptures here as be, having a hard heart, having a hard heart. Um, and so unbelief is, is kind of tied to that as a truth as well. What I don't think unbelief necessarily is, um, if you're maybe, maybe extrapolating, what does that mean? Unbelief doesn't necessarily mean like a, a doubt by a sincere believer. If you have a momentary doubt or you have unbelief, Mark, the, the Gospel of Mark has a, a scripture that I think we repeat over and over again. The man comes to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. So there's a category for this, that we have belief, but we need help with our unbelief. So I don't think it's, it's just doubt. I don't think it's necessarily un, un, uh, unknowing or like not knowing something. Unbelief is um, you've heard the Gospel, you've absorbed the message, and you're not living it out. You're not living it out. Um, so what I want us to recognize is that as we look at the scripture, and we're, we're going to put the verses up again, the audience here is for Christians. I think the audience here is primarily for people who would call themselves Christ followers. The warnings against unbelief, that's who the message is towards. Now, if you're a seeker today, if you're like, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, I'm here as a guest, hang in there. We have a message for you too. But we got to recognize who is the audience of this, of this scripture. All right, so let's, let's dive in. Let's heed the warnings first. Um, we're going to go to verse 16. Verse 16, the first warning against unbelief is this, a good beginning does not ensure a good ending. So verse 16, a good beginning does not ensure a good ending. Um, Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? These are the people who saw God part the sea. 
They weren't, they didn't just read about it in their Bibles. They were there. They saw God's glory. They saw God's Shekinah cloud glory firsthand. And yet they rebelled. So their good beginning, their experience, you know, throughout the Exodus story does not necessarily mean that they have a good ending. So what's the warning for us? Uh, I think one way we can take this is, do you, here in the room, those of you who would call yourselves Christians, do you have a past experience that you just, you lean on, right? You have a past experience, well, when I was five, I prayed the prayer, so check, I'm good. I think it's really good to have a testimony, by the way. Like, I, I love the, the, the past experiences we've had. I think we should share those things. But do we rest on God's grace, or are we using it as a free pass to sin? Like, I prayed the prayer, so I'm good. That would be unbelief. I think that I think what we should look at here is the example of the Israelites in verse 16. This is an, uh, an acting out of unbelief. They saw, they were led to believe and go through the sea. They believed that they would go through on dry land, and they did, and they sang a song to God, but they grumbled. They didn't believe. They couldn't endure. Is that us? Do we kind of just want to be called Christians because that's like a, a safe bet? There's a famous uh, theologian, Pascal, I don't know if he's a theologian, but famous philosopher, uh, Pascal. He uh, came up with Pascal's Wager, which is just, uh, which is an interesting example. We could talk about it later on. But he, he's saying, well, even if, even if God isn't real, we should like, you know, use this as a safety plan. <laughs> like just believe in God as a, as a safety plan, a backup. Are we treating God that way? Is it unbelief? This is a warning to us that our good beginning doesn't necessarily mean a good end. We need to endure. This should be for us a warning against complacency and unbelief. Praise God that there's grace for, for sinners, right? I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have exhibited unbelief in one way or another. So praise God for grace. Next warning, hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness, as we see in verse 15. In verse 15, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. James Davenport talked about this last week. So I would encourage you to uh, revisit those sermons week by week in the podcast feed. Um, those of you who have heard or read the story of Exodus, there's a multiple mentions of somebody's heart being hard in that story, isn't it? Whose heart is most hardened in the Exodus story? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, how tragic is it that Pharaoh's heart is hardened? He's, he's the bad guy, right? He's going to chase down all the, all the Israelites. He was like killing the Israelite children. It's, it's awful. He was, he's a bad dude. His heart was hardened. How tragic is it then to read that the people who were rescued by God have become the same? Their hearts have been hardened. I think it's easy for us to gloss over this without that, that context. Think of the biblical context here that of whose hearts have been hardened. It's the enemies of God. And these are people who are hardening their hearts to become enemies of God. This is a warning for us. Now their unbelief, their unbelief, this hardening of hearts, it doesn't stem from a lack of evidence. I want to like pivot and think about maybe we can attribute unbelief to somebody who is uh, like in our day would be somebody who's atheist or somebody who is agnostic, we say, oh, well, those are the unbelievers. These are people who saw God. They experienced firsthand 
God's salvation through the sea from Pharaoh. And they are the ones with hearts that are hard. So yes, we, we, we uh, do want everyone to see the glory of God. We want anybody who's an atheist to come and see, come and see God. But this is also a message for those of us who are Christians, those of us who have been saved through the waters. So I think we should ask, as a warning here, are we suffering from unbelief? Do, or are our hearts soft? And here's maybe some questions to ask. Are your, is your response to God's word a hard-heartedness, like an intellectual understanding, but not letting the, your heart be penetrated by God's word and God's commands? Are you, are you um, ruled by the demands of your flesh, the impulses that you have, rather than the word of God? This is a warning for us. I think another warning is in verse 17. The final warning is that, th- that God has wrath against sin, that there is wrath against unbelief. Verse 17, with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? The bodies falling in the wilderness or the bodies falling in the desert. That's, that's never really struck me. But I read, I read that the, if you add up like all the peoples in the census, in like numbers, and uh, you, you count them up, it's estimated that there were about a million people, a million people who fled Egypt, the Israelites, a million. And what happens is over the course of 40 years, these people rebel and they fall in the wilderness. They are not allowed to enter into the promised land, except for two. So a million minus two. All of them die. So what would that mean? What would that look like? Over 40 years, if you divide all that up, that's 90 people a day dying in the desert and their bodies. I know someone's doing the math in here. That's fine. But (laughs) you could check me on it. But that's a lot of people dying in the desert. Does anybody else remember, like, the the initial phases of COVID where you were checking, like, the, the dashboards for all of, like, how many people are hospitalized? How many people are dying from this? Like, this is, it was a warning to us, wasn't it? We reacted, I think, in our hearts, like, oh my gosh, this is really serious. I need to be taking this seriously. This is 40 years. 40 years of people, an entire generation of people who rebelled. This should be a warning. They were not allowed to enter the promised land because of unbelief. So how do we avoid that same fate? How do we avoid the consequences of unbelief like, like these folks did? Um, well, I think we can turn away, for, like turn towards um, the warnings, right? We've, we've received these warnings of unbelief that a good beginning doesn't ensure that you're going to have a good end. That we have um, this, this warning here about uh, the, the God's wrath against unbelief and that we could have hard hearts. So how do we do this? I think we should ask ourselves, is this us? We need to some do, to do some self-evaluation. And we're going to look now at verse 13. Exhort one another, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. Can you do this alone? No, this is community. Week in and week out. 
We go through gospel, community, and mission. I hope, you're, I hope Justin, you're not taking the community uh, mural over here with you. <laughs> we need these reminders for us. We're forgetful people just like the Israelites, so we need to be reminded of the gospel, and we are meant to be in community with one another. Uh, about uh, so about ten years ago, I got hired at Epic, and I work out there. And your initial phases of like of a, I think a lot of jobs they ask you to take personality tests and like help you figure out what's my learning style, what's my like personality test sort of thing. Um, I'm really bad at those. I'm, I'm I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I'm I'm very um. There's an outcome I want from the personality tests, right? And that's kind of how I take it, because I want the outcome to be like James, you are an analytical. A stoic, lumberjack-type guy, free of, like, emotional... That's, and that's not me. <laughs> that's not me, if you know me. So sometimes I compensate, right? So sometimes I'll do that way, and then I'll overcompensate, and then the questions that are like, are you, are you, um, are you easily, like, emotionally provoked? I'm like, oh, my gosh, all the time. And, like, and then it, it turns out the results of the survey are, you are a flighty, uh, <laughs> like brag, arrogant, and, you know, I don't know. There's, there's truths to both sides of those things. So what I started doing was um, <laughs> I started asking Jackie, my wife, to help me with these personality tests. In fact, I was like, can you just answer these questions for me? You know me better than me. And it's very accurate. It's, it's very good uh, these days <laughs> to, to have somebody to help me. And th- I think the point is, are we the best judges of ourselves? Sometimes. For me, no. I can't trust myself. I need the one another's. I need the one another's. I, I can recall um, Zach and James and Brian and John approaching me about, and, and David going through the elder process. Like, we, we think you should become an elder. <sighs> no, like that's not me. But I'm listening to the one another's. I think we should be obedient to listen to our community. They know me. They know me. I need to allow them to know me, but they know me. We need to do this one another. Because I think there's two pitfalls, right? We could say, well, I'm fine. You know, like the, the person who's resting in their good beginning and not enduring to the end. I'm fine. You need to let other people know you so other people can exhort you. And then you could fall into the other side where you're in your own head too much. And you, be, you, you skew the results and you're way off the charts and you never rest. Because maybe you are a believer and we need to allow other people to speak into our lives. So how do we exhort one another? I think we need to understand what exhort means, by the way. Exhort is the Greek word, parakaleo. Parakaleo. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo means to call out. Come alongside and to call out. So does exhort mean to, like, criticize other people only? No. Now, it might mean that. It might mean calling out, hey, that path you're on, that path that you're on where you don't have any filters on your computer and you're just letting your imagination run wild to any website you can possibly imagine causing you to sin, exhort. Like, you do not follow that path. Don't follow that path. But are you deeply entrenched in your own self, like navel-gazing self, reflection, depression state where you are never in community, to be encouraged, like, brother, sister, there are means of grace for you. Let's read the Bible together. Let's live this out. To be, let, be encouraged, sister. We all go through times of depression and self-doubt. 
I think exhort, exhortation is a calling out of danger, but also an encouragement to exhort one another and encourage one another every day. We're meant to be in community in this way. We're meant to be watchful for enticing teachings, things that can deceive our minds. James Davenport sent me a quote this week from Sam Storms. So like I'm quoting James, quoting Sam Storms. You are the means by which God desires to keep others faithful and full of hope. Others are the means by which God desires to sustain you in perseverance and endurance. So this is a one another. But this is also something that if, if you are part of the vine, we live out our community in city groups week by week. and We open up the Bible. If you go to the end of Hebrews, I'm, I'm going to turn there now. Hebrews 13, 22, um, he says, the author, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. Like the entire book is an exhortation. This is what we're to do is to remind each other of gospel truths. We're doing it right now. We're exhorting. Like this, this is it. You're hearing exhortation from the scriptures. Have confidence to the end. Exhort one another. We live this out in group. We live this out on Sundays. We live this out in close relationship with one another by knowing one another and allowing ourselves to be known. And the reason why I think we need to do this is because we, uh, well, it's, the scripture tells us we have a, de- a deceitful heart and hearts that are prone to deceit. We very easily want to believe any number of things. But in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Even more, there is a deceiver on the loose. In, in Satan, who wants us to be deceived. So we can't trust our own hearts. There's somebody out there trying to deceive us. So what's the hope? I'll admit it, without a Savior, there is no hope in this. Like, we, we are going to be prone to be wandering in darkness. How could we possibly persevere? Well, the answer is, here in the scriptures in, in uh, this, this passage. Verse 14, for we share in Christ our original confidence. Our confidence. He's our confession. If you look at verse 3-1, he is our confession. In verse 6, we hold fast our confidence. If you look over in chapter 4, in verse 14, Let's hold fast our confession. 16, let us then with confidence draw near. This is a theme throughout Hebrews. This isn't just us maybe trying to bold the words that we want in here. This is a theme throughout Hebrews. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Christian, we need to exhort one another. Why? Why are we doing this? And what are we reminding people of? The confidence we have in Christ. The gospel message. What is this gospel message? If you're like, if you're one of the, the folks who I mentioned at the beginning, like I'm a seeker, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. Let's look at Hebrews 10. Um, this, is, this is in which we can have confidence, uh, confidence. Let's hear this exhortation. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, his death on the cross, 
the curtain that separated the holiest of holies from the people was ripped. This is in whom we have confidence. Christ is the one who made that way. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Friends, this is the confidence which we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. This is the antidote to unbelief or the opposite is assurance of faith. How do we guard against unbelief? We have faith. We have confidence with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. No going astray for he who promised is faithful. That is the confidence. Is is it in our faith? Look at this. He who promised is faithful. That's where our confidence is. It's not in us. We have deceitful hearts. We have hearts that are prone to be deceived. That's he who promised is faithful. Christ is the one in whom we have all this confidence. He's the reason why we exhort one another. So I want to ask you as, as as we seek to apply this week by week, are you going to allow other people to know you and to exhort you? This year is going to be full of people trying to speak into your lives. People want your attention. This is an election year. People are going to be speaking about a number of things. Can we exhort one another? Can we remind each other of our original confidence? And yes, we should talk about important topics of the day. We should get into the way that this applies when we're thinking about who to vote for, when we're thinking about who to date, when we're thinking about life choices, where to move, what job to take. We need to do this all on the basis of the confession of our hope without wavering. So let's, let's be that, that man in, in Mark who says, I believe, help my unbelief. We can call out to God. We have a responsibility to one another to call out to listen as people call us out so we can hold our confidence sure to the end. And this, this week, we're going we're gonna to conclude with um, the song, All I Have is Christ. And I just, I just love that song because it's all that we have. It's a hallelujah, all that we have is him. We stood as rebels to his will, right? We, without... Christ coming to us first would be rebels to his will, and we would be like those falling in the desert. And the strength to follow the commands, the strength to endure, could never come from you and me. It comes from Christ. So let's be on guard against unbelief, fine church. And let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for the message of hope delivered in the scriptures. God, I thank you that this passage to exhort one another is one that calls us to one another, that we're not meant to just do this in a a room alone by ourselves, but we are are meant to be gathered together like we are today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to just live it out by being here, that we can exhort one another by opening up the Bible to this very passage. Lord, I thank you that we are blessed by your word. Lord, may you be faithful to help us to endure May we heed the warnings against unbelief. Hallelujah that all we have is Christ. Amen. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up and see if we have any questions today. It's, it's, uh, it's okay if we don't, but oh, we got one or two. Let's see. Who are you? 
a pastor? Introduce yourself. I'm James. I'm not a pastor <laughs> uh, necessarily. I, I, here at the Vine Church, we actually uh, define the elder role as pastoring. Um, I'm a lay elder, which would mean like my day-to-day gig is not this. Um, I actually work out at Epic like a bunch of a uh, bunch of the rest of you nerds who are just like me, and uh, yeah, I train on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so I'm part of the preaching team here. Um, introduce myself. Thank you for that question, Jackie. Uh, <laughs> Are there any other things I need to announce? <laughs> I have to. I have a question. I have a question. I'm gonna. I'm gonna preempt. I think uh, there could be some great confusion about the passage here. They were unable to enter his rest. What does that mean? Does that mean like they couldn't go into Israel, or they like couldn't go to heaven? Like, is this a salvation thing? Like, do we need to heed the warnings of salvation, or just like we're not gonna get his earthly blessings? I don't know if anybody else had that question. Like, what does it mean that they didn't enter his rest? Um, and this is a big question because I think it applies to each one of us individually. Like, do I know, how do I know I'm saved? Do my momentary lapses in belief, my unbelief, is this a risk of my salvation? Or do we believe in the, in the scriptures that, uh, in John where it says, nobody can snatch us from Jesus' hand? And the answer is yes, like both of those. Yes, like we are, we are meant to heed those warnings. Um, and we could dive into each individual person's circumstances. So this is like talking categorically about the people of Israel now, not necessarily about you individually or you. But were there people in Israel who rebelled and weren't able to enter into God's eternal rest, like salvation, because of their unbelief? I think there's a category for that here, right? These are the people who weren't able to enter God's rest? And were there people who heeded the warnings and turned back to God? Yeah. I think there, there, there are people there too, or at least I hope so. And I have hope in a God who comes to save us. So that's the tension. <laughs> and uh, I don't think there's like a one-stop answer for that one. Um, and this is where we can exhort one another. I think this is where we can grow. And I think we should have individual conversations in our, in our study groups, in our coffee talks, that we should be having those conversations. Like, what do you see? What do you see in me? Am I, am I unbelieving? And we need to be asked the questions, what are, what are you going through right now? How can we pray for God to break through the hardness of heart that you have in your life?